Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. An ass whooping in western New York. Easily the finest hour, I think, of the Chris Ballard-Frank Reich era. I think when you combine the magnitude of the game, the road environment, Offensively, defensively, special teams get involved as well. I point to 41-15 to 15 over a team that I thought the start of the year was going to win the Super Bowl. Who knows? Um, didn't look like it yesterday. Colts with a performance that now has them above 500 for the first time all season. Kevin's Corner back. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there traveling. Um, you know, I think I speak for – I guess I'll speak for myself here that over the past year or so you – Get put in perspective, uh, you know, what it really means this holiday and everything to be thankful for and extremely fortunate and blessed to do what I am doing and to have the family that I do as well and uh, to be healthy. So safe travels, everyone out there. Chris, happy Thanksgiving to you as as well. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, Kevin. Appreciate you saying that. And uh, here locally, B105.7, which is our Soft Rock's uh, sister station, they started Christmas music this morning, some people get a little, ah, you can't do Christmas before Thanksgiving. I can hear both sides of the argument. But I, I told someone, just to echo your point, I said in the last year or two, I'm fine with going ahead and just, if, if celebrating Christmas makes you happy, amen. go for it. Because we need as much cheer as we can. And the Colts gave us a lot of that yesterday. Boy, they certainly did. Beautiful transition there. Um, yeah, I don't know if maybe the debut of uh, Jim Mercer's rendition of We Will Rock You sparked something. <laughs> In the Colts, but um, beating playoff teams, beating good quarterbacks. We've talked about it for the last year now. Putting four quarters together, hell. I mean, I think that that um, was something we certainly saw yesterday. So we'll unpack all of that. What I liked, honestly, the what I didn't like is just a small little snippet. Um, but let's just give quickly kind of overall thoughts from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, the start, you know, Buffalo's been so good all year and getting out of the gate. I think it was like 51-6 to six is what they've outscored their opponents. So the Colts, you know, get up 14 nothing, and then as soon as that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a weather nerd, I'll be honest with you. So My dad was a meteorologist, so I appreciate it. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, good, thank you. That makes me feel better because usually my <laughs> wife just looks at me like, what's a radar mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, anyways, I'm kind of monitoring the weather all week. And I'm looking at myself thinking, oh, wow, it looks like kind of second half things could turn. And so I, you know, was kind of like, oh, I wonder who will get the ball first and just little things like that. And, you know, sometimes maybe it's overblown. But um, when the Colts got up 14 nothing, and that rain started to come in the wind and I looked at the weather and I'm like, oh, it's going to turn a little bit. You know, I tweeted out the weather's going to favor the Colts mm-hmm. and – Sure, when you have Jonathan Taylor, that kind of speaks to it in the run game and all of that. But, like, Buffalo is a dome weather built team playing in Western New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as soon as that weather turned, dude, I, I didn't have one sense of, like, this is going to get away from the Colts. Uh, probably the McKenzie fumble on the kick return really, you know, yeah. cemented that. And then the Bass hit it off the uprights. Was that the one off the uprights to end the first half? Yes. Yep. That was probably when I was like, all right, 
there is I, I don't have one you know ounce of anxiety just because um, I, I think the Colts are finally committed to getting it to their best player, which we'll, we'll hit on as well. Uh, but they are built certainly to, to succeed in January football. Uh, major credit to Frank Reich. Uh, major credit to Matt Eberflus. We'll look at both of those individuals a little bit closer. But yeah, Chris, that was just a thorough beatdown. Yeah. Um, and you know it's a conference that's wild right now. Uh, I stayed up. I couldn't fall asleep last night just because I was. I love watching the Chargers for some reason. Herbert, man, dude. I mean, it, it, but it, you know, then I look at that Chargers team. I'm like, is that team going to be in the playoffs? Like, you, you don't. You know, there's just so many of these teams right now that you almost feel like if they get in, I don't know if they'd want to see you. you you'd want to see them for different reasons. Um, I think in different ways, the Colts and the Chargers kind of fall into that boat. Yeah, uh, but. Like we said on last week's podcast, what an exciting time to be a fan of the Colts. It's such a great opportunity um, to beat teams that you haven't beaten, to revenge against the Bills. Now you got Brady, you got Belichick in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Boy, um, Thanksgiving's going to taste extra good for Colts fans. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the NFL and the entertainment value, just week to week. I mean, a couple weeks ago, people would love to play the Colts, and now – just like you said, you don't know if you want to see the Chargers or whoever. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to see the Colts in the right. first round. I know. So and it's it's wild to think. I think CBS flashed this graphic yesterday. Colts have had, I think, a double digit lead in each of their last eight games. I think that's right. Like even the losses, I I, I might have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's probably right. You know, they haven't turned the ball over, Chris, in in three games. Um, so yeah, there is still work to be done to get to January, and it's not like a slam dunk that it's going to happen. But we're starting to see the makings, again, of a team that's like, oh, boy, uh, I don't want to see them, even if you are going to host them in right. your own building and things like that. And just to get out of the way, I, I, we're not going to talk about the division here. I don't know if we got a Twitter question on it, but, like, I think the Titans' magic number, if I'm not mistaken, is four. So that means combination, Titans wins, Colts losses, the rest of the way, four. When you boil that down over six weeks. Yeah. That's still a lot to climb up. Now, we might get there at some point because Tennessee is really banged up right now, and A.J. Brown got hurt yesterday. But I still think let's just be singular focused here. Buffalo game, wild card. Yeah. I think the the, the thing that most people just look at when it's Tennessee, it's like really two or three losses are the Jets and then the Texans. Right. Come right. on. But yeah. they, they have a wild schedule. Yeah, they do. Well, while we're talking about uh, just the positives of yesterday and, you know, just – the rejuvenation of this team over the last three weeks. Let's go ahead and jump into what you like. The first thing is Frank Reich's approach. Yeah, and uh, let's start just with the scripted portion of the game plans. It continues to be a success each week. Um, I know teams around the NFL love to kind of defer and, and and want the ball to start the second half. With how well the Colts start games offensively, I'm kind of curious if teams will you know, abort that. Hey, I want to put my offense out there because I don't like how – the yeah. early momentum is is going there. Um, you know, obviously I talked about you getting the lead with that weather. I, I thought it held even more importance on Sunday. There's a play that I want to mention, Chris, of why I put Frank Reich's approach in here that is a sneaky play. And by the way, uh, my underrated play of the game, mm-hmm. can you guess it? Underrated offensive player of the game? Just or just general underrated coaching? Un- Non-Frank Reich division, general underrated play of the game, the one that we do each week on the pod. Um, you know me well, so I have a feeling you might I have a feeling you might, you might get this. I actually think the underrated play of the game is when Carson escaped the sack and scrambled down the field for about 25 yards. Boom, boom, boom. 
Is that right? I, I don't know why I did boom, boom, boom. I meant to do bang, <laughs> bang, bang. Jeez. Jeez, uh, uh, gosh. We need we need mom to get get home from Texas in a hurry because Rosie waking up at 2 a.m. has not been good for my brain. All right, um, yes, that, that scramble. Um, you know, it's a third and 10. Um, it's 14-7. Very much still good weather, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to keep on going down that path. If you punt there, uh, that is something to wear. Obviously, Buffalo's got a great chance to come down and score um, at that point. And, yeah, where is that? Yeah, because, I mean, it's 14 and fourteen to 7, 5.50-ish to yeah. go in the uh, I was going to say, yeah, the game book quarter. has six oh one when that play started. So, yeah, Mario Addison, who had a dirty hit on Wentz later. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was just a huge underrated play. And obviously, the big play people point to is probably the fumbled kick return by Isaiah McKenzie. But that was a huge, huge play of, you know, Rivers kind of goes down <laughs> on that play if you want to go there. And that drive in general, you know, earlier in the drive, you had the penalties that kept it alive. So that was still kind of mm-hmm. the game was very much still back and forth. Um, All right. Reich. You had a uh, third down. Third and eight, okay? It's 7 nothing. Colts lead. Bills get the ball. They drive. Uh, they actually had a third and three. They're at the Colts' 28-yard line. False start. So now it's third and eight. 33-yard line. Josh Allen to Dawson Knox. Uh, pass down the down the field. Incomplete offensive holding penalty on the Bills. So you can decline that. Fourth and eight, 51-yard field goal attempt for a, a good field goal kicker. But, I mean, that's a difficult field goal yeah. in the weather. Um or you can risk it with Josh Allen, third and 18 from the 43. So that would put it at 61 yards at that point. You got to think they're third and 18. They're still probably going to dink it down. We know how the Colts defense operates. and They'll let you get 10 yards yeah. in that situation. It could be another 51-yarder. But I think Reich, I, I don't know, maybe I'm giving too much credit to Reich, but I would certainly rip him in this situation before because these are the moments that worries me about Frank. Is I again? I've always loved his offensive mind. You guys have heard me say that endlessly. It's this type of stuff, the management stuff. When your defense is on the field, do you have a sense of time, field position, score, down and distance, all of that to make a decision here? He makes a decision to accept the penalty, mm-hmm. leave his defense on the field, and again, maybe I'm giving him too much credit with this point, but like it's almost like Josh Allen's not just going to take the check down. Like Josh Allen wants to, and he, I mean, he's a freakish talent. Like yeah, he I mean, wants, a flick of the wrist is 18 yards. For right, him. so he wants to try and get it all. Well, sure enough, he tried to get it all, and boom, George Odom pick, the return. Now you're starting that next drive at the 43. Five plays later, Jonathan Taylor into the end zone, and it's 14 nothing. Just that is game management as a head coach in the NFL that's monumental. Watch Chargers-Steelers last night. How many big-time decisions Mike Tomlin, and Brandon Staley had throughout that fourth quarter. Like that, I think that's what we love about the NFL. It's yes, the gladiator 11 on 11 aspect. And again, maybe this is me just being a little bit of a nerd, but I love the chess match within the games of time management and going for things. And when you make those decisions with penalties and whatnot, hat tip, it was risky. You made the decision there and it worked out. And that got you again 14 nothing. So when I say Reich's approach, 
Um, I throw Eberflus into this camp as well, I guess. I don't. Am I talking specifically about defense here? I kind of forget what I... Oh, uh, we have defensive plan at, at a certain point. Okay. Yeah, so um, we can jump to so that I, if you I can want. save Eberflus, but just Reich and... Man, his emotion afterwards, that mm-hmm. was weird. Um, like, I love it because... First off, I love emotional, passionate people. Like, it's just something... I mean, you watch me during a Notre Dame game and you'll be like, wait, what? You know? <laughs> um... Not every game is this one and oh mantra. <laughs> yeah. You can spew it, you can say it, you can print it on a t shirt, and you can have Hard Knocks film it week in and week out. But Hard Knocks is also going to film Frank Reich in that locker room after the game. <laughs> and that's going to look a little different than Jacksonville post game. Right. Or, you know, San Francisco post game, although I hope We Will Rock You makes a second <laughs> appearance here. Um, I, I've never seen him like that, Chris. And I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's some of the Buffalo nostalgia yep. with it, but I also think it's a little bit of, whether he would admit it or not, year four, the magnitude, the pressure, the division dominance we saw in the hard knocks, you know, that obviously doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, he gets it. Frank Reich's a very intelligent human. So, um, yeah, it's the most critical stretch of his coaching career to this point. Um, but just, yeah, that's true. And so, again, I don't know if he's, like, feeling – I don't think the, the seat, again, is scorching hot or anything like that, but I just think inevitably you feel some of that. Um, so, yeah, it's I, – I just thought the approach was tremendous. Yeah, and I don't feel like – I'm sure there will be a, a, a select few that might say, ah, I'm busy doing it for the cameras. I truly believe, like you said, that is an authentic feel from him, knowing that they just won three games – going back to a place where he played, winning handily against a potential playoff team, right? redeeming themselves, and then also they know that, hey, last week, look at that injury report. Things are starting to click. you got two big opponents coming home. You get a bye week. You're starting to kind of mesh at the right point, and hopefully we can sneak in. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really, really spot on. So um, T.Y. Hilton giving that game ball to Frank Reich, pretty cool moment, Yeah, um, and I think very, very well-deserved. Uh, that was one game ball. Obviously, the other game ball, and I love when the players go, speech! <laughs> and Jonathan Taylor's like, I'm not giving a speech. I, I'll shout out my high school team that's going to state. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Jonathan Taylor, I mean, what what more can you say? Yeah, literally. What what more can you say? Um, You know, <laughs> watch that game yesterday, I'm thinking, you remember, in, I don't know, June, July, Chris, we did the podcast of, you know, this might be my hot take podcast of the off season, and mm-hmm. nothing says summer podcast like this. And I don't know, maybe I did it with Ross. I, I, I kind of forget, but I said, buy a Jonathan Taylor MVP ticket. Yeah, no, yeah, I remember. You know, and, and unfortunately, uh, narrator voice, I didn't buy the Jonathan Taylor MVP <laughs> ticket. Uh, I believe the odds. I think last I saw, like the tenth best odds after last week, which I still think is a little bit low, but that probably has more to do with. Uh, MVP voters hate running backs, mm-hmm. uh, but that's for a different debate here. But, like, I had legitimate belief this was possible. Um, I'm not sure if you were at practice that day at Grand Park, Chris, but I think it was the joint practices with Carolina. And Jim Irsay goes over to the tent and meets the media during practice. And I'm always kind of like, gosh, I hate missing practice. You know, what's right. the owner going to say? You never know what he's going to say. And sure enough, you go there. And next thing you know, I'm like half watching practice, half listening to Ursay. And he's like, I tell Jonathan Taylor to dream about gold jackets. And you're kind of like, whoa. You know, <laughs> like you just, 
you're inclined as a human, at least me, to be like, whoa, wow, that's a that's a statement. And then I literally walked away from that tent and thought, Jim Irsay said a lot of things in my life where I'm like, wow. That is a wow that I sit back and say, here I am nodding my head. Here I am saying, you don't hand out gold jackets after one NFL season when the guy was benched twice in that rookie year. But I still think to myself, there's a lot of validity to it possibly happening. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. The numbers that he has put up so far is at a Canton-like pace, especially when, and I think, and again, I don't want to turn this into a Hall of Fame debate, but like NFL running backs eventually will be evaluated on much different standards, just like I think quarterbacks have to start to get evaluated Correct. on different standards. Um, there's just not many guys that can take a game over like he can right now. You know, I, I think back to training camp, dude, and I'm like, he might have been the only offensive player not to miss a day of practice. He's just, he's so unique. He's so rare. Jake Query and I, and for those who don't know, Jake is our morning co-host uh, from 7 to 10 a.m. with myself on our station. Jake isn't, like, as big of a believer in, like, you know, when he hears the, oh, every team has high character. Like, you know, he's not much of a believer in that. Like, every team preaches character. I, I tend to think the Colts act upon it a lot more than yeah. other teams. And no one epitomizes that more than Taylor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear stories about him in Wisconsin, again, of like, they get back from a road game, he's rushed for 200, and it's not, let me make sure I've got my girls lined up, let me make sure that, right. you know, whatever um, party activities are waiting for me when I get back to the house. Oh, uh, is the ice, ice bath on? You know, mm-hmm. is there ice in there? That's his first thinking. Um, Chris Ballard. We've talked about questionable draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. The Pittman-Taylor back-to-back, just an absolute home run. You had Marlon Mack. Why do you need another running back? Some would argue that. you know Marlon Mack just had a 1,000-yard season. Yeah. And yet this all-in approach on what they're doing from a rushing attack and believing that Taylor can then take the rushing attack from here, and I'm putting my hands up in the air, to here, yeah. boom. Like... His big playability, they felt like, was an absolute difference maker. And then you say the work ethic. And then you say his durability. I thought it was really unfair after the draft when a lot of people slotted him into other Wisconsin running backs. The dude ain't Ron Dane. He ain't ain't Monte Ball. Hell, he ain't ain't even Melvin Gordon. Like, this dude runs 4-3. Like, he's, okay, he's Wisconsin and Jersey alone. And I get it. Behind that offensive line, the numbers are crazy. But the numbers that, like, literally he put up in three seasons, like, he would have obliterated rushing records had he stayed there for a final season. And he's already up there just with playing for three years. Yeah, I looked it up last night. I think he he averaged, like, 6.7 yards a carry in college. I mean, that's – Ron Dane obviously was ahead of him, but like you said, he would have passed him. Yeah. Because Ron Ron Dane was, like, 4.5. 6.7, that is stupid. Stupid. Um. You know, he's going to be featured on Hard Knocks this week. He was mic'd up. What a perfect week for all of that. And, like, I don't know how many people have had the chance to hear Jonathan Taylor. I think we've played some interviews in this mm-hmm. pod. I know we've had him on our airways. If Rosie Bowen could marry Jonathan Taylor, I'd be, you know, beyond thrilled. Yeah. Like, just just seems like such a tremendous human. And, sure, I'm not going to pretend like I know him <laughs> that well. But um, everything I've heard, everyone I've talked to, they just can't say enough good things about him and how he goes about his business. Of He has the rare balance, Chris, of premium confidence and premium humbleness. 
is athletes. Yeah. Those don't often no. go hand in hand. Um, and I guess lastly on Taylor, Chris, the Colts do not think for one second that the Colts are treating Jonathan Taylor like they treated him in September and October. They did not give him the ball enough in those months. They did not use him, put him on the field enough in those months. Yeah. They have changed their approach. And I brought this up to Jake. I almost feel like it's a weird feeling of like Derrick Henry is hurt and that has now opened the Colts' eyes of like, oh my gosh, we have the best running back in the NFL. That's probably not even true, but like it almost but no, feels that way. Like if you look at his playing time in recent weeks, you look at the amount of touches he's gotten in the recent weeks, though it has skyrocketed from where he's at. And like you would think if anything like I don't know maybe those numbers would wane a little bit or you'd have more of a pitch count as the year moves along it hasn't been the case um you know I debated this a little bit I'm trying to think of the one game where you really abandoned him either the Tennessee or Baltimore games I don't know they both kind of run together but I, I love the line that Rick Venturi used of some like force touches for Taylor like you get in a huddle and you say to yourself, here are two or three run plays for Jonathan Taylor, and we'll audible or mm-hmm. whatever we need to do at the line of scrimmage, but he's in the game, and he's going to touch the bleeping ball. And we've talked about it endlessly on this podcast. I think the Colts have started to do more of that. And then secondly, when you have the two running back personnel grouping, you can do so much. Look at the second touchdown. Look at the touchdown catch mm-hmm. from yesterday. It's Hines and Taylor on the field together, and it's tons and tons of success. So um, I'm not going to get into an MVP debate. I just know this. If you're making a five-player list right now, he's got to be one of the five. Yeah. I, I, Kyler, Brady, I don't know, probably Mahomes with how he's done lately. I I, I don't even pretend to – I don't get too caught up in, like, end-of-year awards and whatnot. But for what Jonathan Taylor is doing – Last year to end last season, Chris, I don't know how much we focused on it because you're kind of caught up in the moment of the season, and when you get into off-season pods, you kind of strictly like get to the off-season. You don't really look at how guys finish the season. But Jonathan Taylor, I believe, had like, I want to say it was seven straight games of at least 85 rushing yards to end last season. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong. on uh, I, I, I think it was seven. If they're on the Buffalo game, it might have been eight. I think 85 is right, though. Only player in the NFL to do that last year. Only player in 2019 that did that was Derrick Henry. Only player in 2018 that did that was Ezekiel Elliott. So you think of the last three years in the NFL, Taylor, Henry, Elliott. And it's not like Henry and Elliott did it in other years. Mm -hmm. They just did it in those seasons I'm talking about. Running backs, consistent production. Those two things, when you combine them together, Running backs just don't don't achieve it. They just don't like look around. I mean, hell, how many yards does Zeke have yesterday? Like, I, yeah. you know, it's just they just don't achieve that. And what Taylor does on a consistent, productive basis, it's unlike anybody in the league. So um, he needs to be on it. The Colts need to continue to win. He needs to continue to produce. And then NFL MVP voters need to get the head out of yeah. their ass and realize that. Devontae Smith won a Heisman last year. Why? Because he's the best player in college football, not because I'm the best quarterback on a top three team, and so inevitably I'm going to win the Heisman Trophy. No, no, no. Outside thinking here. Yeah, I agree with you. 
Let's jump to the final thing that you had of what you liked. That was the defensive plan against Buffalo and Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, obviously you guys know full well that we, I should say, have ripped Matt Eberflus in this podcast, and I think deservedly so at various times. But I thought what would undo the Colts last week, and I guess without having kind of a second podcast now for those that don't listen to the radio station, my thoughts on the Bills game was this. I thought at the start of the week the seven-point spread was way too big. I was like, what? Colts are seven-point underdog? Um, and then as the week moved along, I thought to myself, that number is going to shrink big time. The Starlow to Lele, the Tremaine Edmonds injuries, Spencer Brown going on the COVID list. I'm like, this is all of this is setting up to be a great game. But I thought the Bills would win because of no Julian Blackman and no Kari Willis. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be the difference in the end. Um, sure, the weather helped the Colts a little bit, but still. In good weather, George Odom made some huge plays early in that game. And their pre-snap to post-snap disguise to actual um, whatever opening of the gift, if you will, with their coverages, was brilliant. And I thought your rush plan was pretty good. It's not like you hit him a bunch or sacked him a bunch. I thought you kept him confined to that pocket. Quiddy Pay did have that huge strip, take him out of field goal range. Mm-hmm. But your ability to just force Allen to stay with the scripted portions of the plays was brilliant. So um, you'd like to think, similar to Baltimore, this is a game that you kind of circled. You knew you were playing Buffalo again this season, that you wanted to make sure that you did. But um, major credit to the defense of every time it kind of got close to that breaking point, Buffalo got on the edge of field goal range. Mm -hmm. It didn't matriculate from there. Uh, the off-script stuff was really good. Stephon Diggs obviously had the two touchdowns, but really besides that was held in check. And, um, you know, you know Buffalo can't run it, so your ability to make sure that you stymie that passing attack, a job well done. Yeah, I uh, that Quiddy Pay, I thought immediately, I was like, he just took it away from him. <laughs> right, and then you're like, where's the ball? You know, you're like, oh. I had it on mute. Can you explain? I didn't, I didn't hear. The lineman fell on it, it squirted it out, and then they – Blew yeah, it dead. You, I didn't. You can't return of. You can't pick up more than two people. Can't pick up a fumble or something. Okay. Like I, I, I don't know. I the officiating was you know caught up in the weather. I think a little bit too yesterday, but <laughs> I believe that was right. Yeah, and then, like the George Odom INT was kind of weird. The NFL starting to do that more. And I noticed this during road games that um they are starting to not show the challenges announcements or like the replays like they just come back and they're like oh um it was incomplete on the field yeah and here's the next play i'm kind of like let's not forget about the viewer i get it you don't want to maybe delay the game too too much but like a quick little you know whoever comes on the mic and just like after we talked amongst ourselves as an officiating crew the play was incomplete on the field indianapolis not challenging second and ten whistle boom Let's go, because that's what happened. They ended up not reviewing the Odom interception. They ended up getting together during the TV timeout and saying, that was incomplete, guys. Okay, let us know that. And then the Frank Reich didn't challenge it because, yeah, you know, whatever. He also, whatever, whatever. So, yeah. We'll stay in that backfield. We're going to jump to things you didn't like, and really, like you said, there's not much here. Xavier Rhodes, aside from just the deflection where Kenny Moore says, I'll see your deflection and I'll raise you with batting it to myself. Oh, boy, that's beautiful. Um. 
really silent yesterday. Yeah, I, I didn't love the roads I saw early in that game. Um, like you said, the deflection, Chris, he definitely deserves uh, mention for. But early in the game, I thought Buffalo was picking on him. Um, you know, they targeted him kind of like it was Rock last year, mm-hmm. almost. And the pitch count was too heavily weighted towards Rhodes early in that game. Um, I think if you don't see the weather impact the game as much as it maybe did for Buffalo through the air, I think you see Rhodes even targeted more. Um, and this is just one of those things you put in the worry category, you know, moving forward. And we've done that a couple times this year of like, all right, you know, we'll see how Tampa plays tonight. But Tampa Bay's got a pretty good wideout court. It's pretty deep. Um, now, it doesn't look like Antonio Brown is back. I, I don't think he's back, but, um, you know, you're going to face the Cardinals later in the year. I think they have a deep wideout court. And Buffalo, I think, has a, a pretty good wideout court. Mm-hmm. But, again, you're playing inside next weekend. You're going to play inside against Arizona. Like, I just think the passing attacks will be a little bit more consistent for 60 minutes in terms of attacking you. Um, so this is something to watch, cornerback depth in general. I would like to see more of Rodgers and yeah. Rock together. Obviously, Kenny Moore shouldn't come off the field. Uh, that's what I would like to see. But I don't think the Colts are taking that approach. I mean, Rhodes started, mm-hmm. and I would say played. I mean, off the top of my head, I bet he played 70%, 80% of the first two and a half quarters. So clearly they're viewing him as still a guy that is above the rest. Even though it ended up kind of evening out, I don't think that was the case early on in that game. Yeah. All right, what do you say we jump to Twitter questions? Yeah, definitely, man. All right, first one comes from Mexico. Uh, Monterey, Monterey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico, to be specific. Oh, great. By the way, great. uh, That was a great Leon pronunciation by you. Saludos. This is from Salvador. He says, it is time now that the offensive line is in great shape and in rhythm because if he's not mistaken, it has been three games in a row with a complete offensive line. What do you think about how they're playing, Kevin? And he also says, thank you. You have an excellent podcast. Well, thank you, Salvador. And uh, saludos to you. Beautiful country. It was fortunate to be in it a few, I guess, mm-hmm. about, about over a month ago. Anyways, um, Chris, let's go back to that Jets game on Thursday Night Football. You know, it's a game that you're playing the Jets. So you don't have these concrete takeaways. One of the takeaways I had that had me curious about moving forward was, did you just get back to your identity? They did that night. They got back to hammering it. And remember just the yards before contact that, like, Taylor had in that game? Yeah. I mean, it was an absurd, absurd level. And I just think that that kind of happened. So, yeah, it was a bad opponent, but, you know, what did that do for your psyche? Um, so, yeah, the offensive line together, obviously Nelson banged up. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think you, you're starting to – you need to alleviate – the plate of Carson Wentz. I don't want that to sound like I'm taking some shot at Carson Wentz. I, I think it's very fair to say Carson Wentz is not a guy that needs to be carrying and serving all the dishes for you on Thanksgiving. Like, that's just, you don't want to put all that on his plate there. Like, yeah. let's, let's you know, kind of ease that. Um, and I think right now you're starting to support him much better than you did earlier in the year. We're going to jump. Uh, Mitchell's going to take us quickly back to things you didn't like. He wants to talk about Xavier Rhodes a little bit. He wants to know, can we never play Rhodes again and let uh, Rodgers take over? Yeah. I, so the, those snap counts, Chris, you had Kenny Moore play 50 of 56. Mm-hmm. Rhodes, 36 of 56. Rock, 35 of 56. Isaiah Rodgers, 29 of 56. TJ Carey played six, so I assume TJ Carey got those six snaps for Kenny at the end of the game. Um. 
again, I would like to see Rodgers and Rock more of them. I don't know, Xavier's weird, man. Uh, you just you kind of worry about him mentally, I think, if you were to bench him, and he's not helping you out on special teams. So that's, you know, I, I get it's a delicate one, but, boy, you just don't want to see it come up and bite you when, yeah. you know, things are a little bit more, I don't know, level playing field, if you will. This next one comes from David. What do you think, Kevin, about resting Quentin Nelson a game or two to get him healthier and not perpetually injured? And also, uh, David felt like Jack Doyle did great yesterday. Yeah, he did. Uh, what did Doyle end up with? He had a couple catches, didn't he? Three for 30. You know, it, I think it's fitting that in a Western New York, Jack Doyle plays so well. He, just, yeah. he fits that. I yeah. fit. He is Bill's Mafia. I could see an old Jack Doyle jumping on a... A plastic table. Well, like Jonathan Taylor, him and you yeah. are happy that Cathedral's going to the state championship and, you know, get fired oh, up a little bit. Right. Yes. Thank you. Um, yes. Shout out to Cathedral. They got Zionsville this weekend. And they won the banner. They did win the banner over Garen. That was uh. big. Yeah. Joe Wrights wasn't happy about that. I'll let, let him know that no shock there whatsoever. Um, resting Big Q. Uh, I just. I think the first question is this. Can he aggravate stuff? I think that's what you ask with any injury. Uh, you're not in a position to rest. I, I, I'm i sorry. I, I get it. Chris Reed's looks solid, but, like, you, you got to win. You know, I just don't think that you, you can play around with some of that stuff. Um, you know, maybe you're sitting on a little bit earlier in the year or you're trying to manage stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I just – I don't think you're there um, at all. You know, it's interesting. Nelson had that holding penalty yesterday. He got out of field goal range. And I don't think Taylor touched the ball a whole lot on that drive. Frank Reich was saying afterwards that after that drive, he said to himself, first and second downs, Jonathan Taylor needs to touch the ball moving forward every single time. And if you look at the numbers – Taylor touched it on nine of the ine- of the next eleven plays, scored two touchdowns. Is thirty eight seven. The game's over. Like mm-hmm. now again, some will counter and say, "Well, it shouldn't take that for him to realize he got to get Taylor the ball." But you know, it is just a reminder of like the staff. I think has evolved a bit with their usage of Taylor. Um, now again, could that have changed things early on in the season? Who knows? But um, I I don't think you rest Nelson. I get it. Reeds look fine, but. You know, I think it was just something about how have, having Nelson in there that, you know, I don't know, it's a bit of an ass-kicking or who knows what. So, if the records are different, I mean, you're still ninth in the AFC. Like, I, I don't I, – I think if the Colts – if the Colts go – Colts go 5-1, and one, Chris, they're unquestionably in the playoffs. I think 4-2 and two should be enough. I think if they go 4-2, yeah. and two, they'll have things favorable in their situation. But – It's just a dangerous game to play. Yeah. And this next one comes from Tyler. He says, no more went snap count in quotes, questions, or comments should be permitted on Kevin's Corner. (laughs) He's been getting tired of the fans that are so concerned about the snap count percentages. This team can flat out play in a conference where no one seems to be the lead horse, no pun intended. Go shoe, and thanks for the podcast. Well, Tyler, hey, we take all questions. We are a very inclusive podcast here <laughs> of Kevin's Corner. As smart or as dumb as they may seem, we will welcome them. Yeah, Sam Ellinger did yeah. a little time there. Uh, late. Did he have a scramble late? Oh, yeah. I was going to uh, say. Let's see. I'll, 
before that was. I thought I saw something. One for nine. Yeah, he looked physical there. Man, Deion Jackson got six carries. Yeah. God. Um. Yeah, I, Tyler. To your point, and, and look, I mean, people are going to be pissed about the first round pick, and like that's fine. I I get it. Like, come April. It's going to be a bummer that the Colts don't pick in the first round. Like, I think everybody loves – it's the offseason Christmas present everybody loves. Lord knows Chris Bauer ain't spending free agency. So that means you look towards the draft to, you know, find your Christmas present and you don't really get it there. Um, Chris, if you had to bet on one team in the AFC right now, who would it be? To win it all? To represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Oh. Uh, it's a crap – I tweeted yesterday, the AFC is anyone's game. Um Depending on where the games are played, I still might lean Kansas City. Yeah. I feel like they're hitting their stride a little bit now. Yeah, but you I, don't know ten, the way that Vrabel can sometimes get that defense to mix things up with his Belichick mentality. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a wide open it's a wide open race. Man, I'd probably go Kansas City, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. It is it is wide open, and you know, again, I'm not sitting here saying the Colts are going to get on some Super Bowl run, but you guys have heard me say this all along. You. you 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 get into the dance because you want darts at the board. Mm-hmm. You never know. Never know how things will unfold. You want darts at it. And as long as you got one, who knows? Who knows? Plus, just as a fan, I mean, I laugh at these, you know. Did I bring it? I think I ripped Jimmy Cook now on every podcast. I mean, this dude doesn't <laughs> want Notre Dame in the playoffs because he's scared of losing by a lot of points. What do you What do you mean? You, you want to go watch him play the freaking Peach Bowl? Like, you know, you want to... You Get in the playoffs and see what can happen. Yeah. Like, why else a fan are you cheering for life? Yeah, there are times from, like, a a heart standpoint when your team's been, uh, I'll take it for me, Tennessee football fan. Your team's been bad for so long that you kind of forget when you actually do get to big games, you get nervous. You're like, I kind of, to a degree, miss being bad because I never had to worry about it. Right. But, like like you said. I like how my body feels. Yeah, I'm a Braves fan. I was like, listen, we beat the Dodgers. We made it to the World Series. If they lose to Houston, it is what it is. Only two teams can say that they went to the World Series. <laughs> so at the end of the day, oh, you only won this many games in the season, and you guys just got out at the right time. Well, that's why you play, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, trust me, man. I don't get it. Well, here's something that hopefully we can get, and that's Jonathan Taylor back on a second contract, all things considered and goes well and Casey wants to know can we afford him oh gosh <laughs> Shit, Casey what we're only <laughs> I mean we're only in year two I, I can't say I've thought too much about Jonathan Taylor's second contract I mean I guess he would what he'd want an extension after next year um boy I mean at that point don't you have a Carson contract situation you got to figure out too yeah I don't I, I'm not gonna let my mind go down that path right now I yes I I mean, Chris Ballard is want to be built. He, this is how he wants to be built. So if you want to be built this way, then yeah, you got to pay him. Yeah. So, yeah, you figure it out. By yeah, the way. and he's probably not going to be, I mean, not that he's not worth being very expensive, but the drop-off, you got Zeke at $900 million, 75 for Camara, 64 whoa, 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 how much for Zeke? 90 Or 90 Did okay. I say 900 Yeah, I was like, jeez. <laughs> One less zero. Yeah. $90 million, 75, 64 for McCaffrey, 63 for Dalvin, and then you go Henry at 50, and they start trickling down. So not saying 
Fifty million is not a lot of money. It and, is, but and again, for our roster constructors out there, they're going to hate it. Which uh, I, I I can listen to people that say it's not. This is not how you build a football team, but this is how the Colts want to be built under Chris Ballard. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't think. Th- yeah, I, I can't see like a you let Taylor walk. I, yeah, no, I, I I can't see that. All right, a question about Jonathan Taylor from Jonathan himself. Not oh, himself, but really? a, a Jonathan. Okay. Curious if you've ever, if you've, if you've changed your mind that Jonathan Taylor is has been the best running back the Colts have had over their first two years. Love the game he played yesterday. Oh, jeez, these questions, man. <laughs> it's like a no-win situation for me. You know, like, <laughs> I'm either ripping Edron James or <laughs> Jonathan Taylor here. Um. Yeah, this is really where I wish I could just, you know, oh, I didn't see your question. Moving on to the next one here. But you guys do listen to the podcast for a reason, and I guess it's for me to give my whatever opinion here. Um, It's Edge. It, it, it You know, you I think we forget what Edge and James did in those first two years. The dude led the league in rushing in both of those years. And, like, go back and look at what Edron did in the receiving department. In those first two games. And again, I know all of this sounds like I'm ripping. I just said Jonathan Taylor should be on the MVP list. Well, what more do you want me to say about Jonathan Taylor? Yeah. But we're comparing him to Edron James' first two years. And I we, we also can't ignore Jonathan Taylor's start to his rookie season. I mean, the first eight games, you know, very, very mediocre. Benched, you know, at least one time, probably more like two. Um, you know, I think you make the argument that He's behind a much better offensive line than Edge had back then as well, at least a, not as invested of an offensive line. Uh, Taylor is behind much more of an invested line. So, yeah, I, it's a no-win situation, but I, I, Edron James gets my vote. It was interesting on the graphic yesterday, Kevin, during the broadcast where they mentioned they put a list of, I think, nine or ten players in the NFL history that over their first two years averaged 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns Three of those people being Colts and Falk, James, and Taylor. Yeah, I mean, it, trust me, this organization's had some pretty special running backs. So, um, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's a stud, but Edron James, like, there's a reason that he is in. He he wears the gold jacket to go back to Jim Mercer's company. Yeah, we're gonna stick with Taylor as a lot. You know, a lot of these questions are going to be after that production yesterday. This one's from Craig. Hey, Kevin, I feel like that was the most complete game of the season, if not the last two. In your opinion, is Jonathan Taylor the most complete back in football today, and does he deserve NBC, MVP consideration, which you've already said yes? Yes, definitely. Um, but again, Derek, I don't think Derrick Henry got an MVP vote last year, Chris. Like, you know, NFL voters hate running backs, so um, that that will be a hurdle. Is he most complete back in football? I I think so. You know, I think when you fact you factor in. A little bit of receiving. He doesn't do a ton of it, but certainly does a little bit of it. And I say a little bit of it compared to whatever, Kamara or yeah. McCaffrey or some of these other guys that are probably more more receivers than runners. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I mean, Henry, you know, Henry's durability has been absurd and just his ability to kind of take over games late. I don't know if we've seen – I think Taylor can do that. I don't know if we've seen like an outright – and maybe Taylor just, hell, he makes so many big plays early in games he doesn't need to take them over late. But it's almost like Henry is the king of the fourth quarter. Just yeah. like you just – one score games, you get there, and boom, there's Henry ripping it off for 60. But, uh, yeah, if I'm making a list right now, 
is probably a super recency bias, but it might go Taylor 1A, Henry 1B. I I don't know. I know Henry doesn't run behind, again, an O-line that's got the investments of the Colts O-line, but... And having said that, I might flip-flop him now that I just said that out loud. But, yeah. Got to be on an MVP list. Yeah. Got to be. All right. Matt and Adam have similar type questions talking about the Colts being a bad weather team. Do you think that's what we are? We have good ball security, an MVP candidate, and running back at Jonathan Taylor, which we've mentioned. A gelling offensive line if we scrape into the postseason. Could see it being a huge advantage in places like New England, Buffalo, Kansas City, Tennessee, or any other outdoor arena. We most we probably should almost pray for bad weather based on yesterday's uh, output. And jokingly says, "Heck, let's open the roof if there's snow when the Raiders visit." <laughs> you know, I laugh. I think there's so much truth to this. I mean, let's take it a step further from yesterday. Well, let's put the run game to to aside. You're a better special teams unit than them. The, I mean, if McKenzie doesn't fumble that ball, they go down and score just a field goal, Chris. It's 17-10 halftime, and they get the ball to start the third yeah. quarter. Yep. Totally different psyche. Uh, you made your field goals. Granted, they were shorter, but you made them, and Bass missed a couple. Uh, the flip of that happened in the playoff game. And the Colts also continue to, like, win the penalty margin by a substantial mar- margin. I mean, yesterday yeah. was like 40 yards. I mean, 40 yards. Take two drives and take away 20 yards or add 20 yards onto two drives. Difference between points, no points, touchdown, field goal. Like, those are huge, huge parts um, of the game that we don't pay attention to. But, yeah, I mean, hell, think about the AFC in general. AFC North, East, and South, every playoff venue would be outdoors. All the North teams play outdoors. All the East teams play outdoors. Uh, and again, I'm talking actual playoff teams. Hell, I think they all play outdoors now that I think about it out loud. And in the South, obviously Tennessee would be outdoors. So, yeah, and Arrowhead. I mean, unless you're playing at the Raiders or at the Chargers, yeah, you're playing outdoors. So that's why last year that weather in Buffalo was just kind of wild. It was like, wow, this is great weather for January, and it didn't play in the Colts' favor. Now they had a chance to win the game, but the Colts wanted to be bad weather. I think that's what adds, and going back a couple of years ago, that's what adds to kind of the shockiness of that Kansas City loss in the playoff game. You got manhandled in elements that should have favored you. You know, you were the better running team. You had this O-line. Kansas City is this team that, that can't stop the run, and they want to throw it, and yet right. it didn't play out that way. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting, like you said earlier, if you take the Bills and the Colts and flip their stadiums this year, what right? the, what those two records look like. You know, another thing, all of a sudden, Buffalo's now in the wild card picture. Yeah. So now you got a head to head over them, mm-hmm. which, again, we're, I think it's fine to look at some of that stuff, and we're still a ways away from that truly mattering, but just stuff to note. Yesterday, if you could win Buffalo or Tampa, you win Buffalo 100 out of 100. Screw Brady and that element to it. Um, people might say screw him anyways, but <laughs> you know what I'm getting yeah, at. You'd rather yeah. have the conference win. Absolutely. From Brian, the last season ended in Buffalo when the offense fizzled out. In the end, this week we showed that our, our this year's Colts might be different. Taylor will grab all the headlines, but Carson Wentz's upgrade over Phillip Rivers is huge in his opinion. Are we starting to see what's possible with the thriving Carson Wentz leading the way? I'm all in on Wentz. What are you? Man, that was a huge scramble. I keep on going back to that scramble. It's just such a big play. Um, you know, I, I think Wentz has been pretty good. Um, I don't 
all in, that's that's an aggressive statement for me to make. You know, I, I look at my quarterback and think, really want top ten quarterback play. I know it's a high standard. I really want that. And I just think there's a couple boxes for Wentz to check. Um, now he's protected it extraordinarily well. Did it again yesterday. Um, been really good in a lot of key areas. And I think he does give this offense a little bit more of a ceiling. Um, but again, there's still going to be some moments this year, I think, when a team does load up load up the box and limits Taylor. And how does he do? We have, we have yet to see Wentz in true playoff games, really. So um, I'm going to hold off, Brian, on the all-in. But right now, I think you're definitely moving forward with them. And I think the question the question now is, like, can you win? If, I, if I'm going to slot wins in the 10 to 12 category on QBs, can you win with that? Right. And, and when I say win, obviously I mean at all. Um, can you win with that? That that's gonna gonna be the next question, and then can Wentz sit, get to the playoffs, and then say, 10's twelve? No, no, no. I I can take my game to another level. Yeah. Defensive couple defensive questions here from Curtis. Hey Kevin, I could be wrong, but I thought I noticed a Forrest Buckner lining up outside at defensive end at times against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Curious if this is something that we could see more of with the versatility and size of Dio Odangbo and Quiddy Pay to help. Buckner see less double teams. I saw the Chief had done, Chiefs had done this earlier in the year with Chris Jones for similar reasons, needing help to get consistent pressure on quarterbacks, but they gave up on it. Is it worth what we'd be giving up on the inside? Would love to hear your thoughts and what Matt Eberflus thinking is on this. As always, thanks for the work that you guys do. Yeah, Curtis, is a great question. Basically, the Colts look at each individual offensive lineman every week and say, where are you weak? And I mean like physically weak. Right. Like, like where are you not good? Um, are you sus- susceptible to bull rushes? All right, we might move more of a power guy on you. Do you struggle with a spin move? Do you struggle with bending You know, from the outside, things like that? Um, hell, I think you saw it late last night, that Chargers game. Chargers moved Bosa inside, and Pittsburgh didn't have an answer. Like Just because they're an end by nature, mm-hmm. Buckner's too talented. Plus, you confuse their pass protection scheme. You know, Maybe they might have a little bit of a chip situation or like, you can handle the guys in the interior with chips a little bit easier than the outside. So, uh, yeah, the Colts have been doing this for quite some time. So this isn't too unique, to be honest with you. Brian's got a hypothetical for you. He wants to add a little fun to the podcast. Here's a matchup. Do you think he's saying the podcast isn't fun? No. Oh. He just said wants to have a fun question. Okay, got it. Thank you, Brian. 2020 Indianapolis Colts or the 2021 Indianapolis Colts? Who wins in a game? Oh, wow. Yeah. These are kind of fun. Thank you, Bryant. Well, Pittman and Taylor are definitely better. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, you know, I'd probably give the slight edge to this year's team, which is weird to say because of the record. Right. You know, the record is a lot different. Obviously, last year you had the easiest schedule in the league. I think that plays into it. The defense just seems to find the ball a little bit more this year. Um which well, is what they great... wanted last year. I mean, last year, I feel like we're starting to see the defensive takeaways that they were hoping right. for last season. Right, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it's a great debate. I'd love to see Uncle Phil sling it. <laughs> I wish Phil would have came back this year and played for the Saints. Can he still how, do that? How... Didn't he say Thanksgiving he was coming back? Yeah. Did how... a quarterback get hurt yesterday? Fields? Did Fields uh, get hurt? Fields, Fields they're, they're still addressing his rib injury. Rivers noon on Thanksgiving. Lions, Tim Boyle against Phillip Rivers. No, I flip it. I want Dalton and Rivers. No, we want Rivers 
on the Bears, baby. We 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 want we want them on the Bears. Okay, we, we, it's something to get me through that twelve thirty Thanksgiving game. I mean, what in the world? Who, it's who it's a resume builder. Rivers can say I won. I came to a defeated team. I gave them their first one, <laughs> and now I have to fly back to Alabama and feed my seventeen yeah, exactly. family members. All right. That, that, now that is fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brian, that's a good one. I, I I need to think about that, but I'd say I don't know. It's it's a good debate. Quarterback play. I loved watching Rivers. Oh yeah, I got a soft soft one. Here's another fun one. This is coming from North Carolina from our listener, Chris. He's been a Colts fan since 08-09, and he's finally coming up to watch them play against the Patriots with a diehard Patriots friend of his. Where's the best rallying point pregame, and where's the best place to find some wings during his second-day excursion of the city? Oh, well, Chris Presley, I might throw this to you as well. Again, when I get these questions, you know, obviously I've experienced my fair share of sporting events in Indy, Mm -hmm. so I think I have a decent idea of this, but you know, pregame for Colts games, can't say I'm throwing them back too early on a Sunday, although that might make for a really interesting uh, day in the press <laughs> box for me. Um, so, yeah, you got any – And I, I guess I'll start with the wings and let you go pregame festivities. I used to live next to Keystone Sports Review. It's a little little north of downtown. Now, you got to go real far north to get probably the premium wings in Indy. That would be the Ale Emporium. Yep. Um, that's what – you know, good twenty minute drive from downtown. Probably There's a little one in bit Greenwood more. now, so that's oh, probably there? a little closer. Okay. Yeah, but the, so, the original is up in up in Castleton. Yep. So that's about twenty twenty five. The one in Greenwood's what fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. probably. A KSR for wings. That's Keystone Sports Review. That, that that's worth it. Yeah. Fifteen minutes there. Um. All right. What else? You I, got wings I, or pregame? Ironically, spots? I was talking with buddies yesterday. A friend just moved here from Fort Wayne. And he was like, man, where, where are good wings? KSR, first place I told him. I said, okay. if you blink, you'll miss it. Yeah. So I was like, it's a nice little spot, great wings. Uh, also brought up Chatham Tap. Ooh, okay. Chatham yeah. Tap, there's one on Mass Ave, which yeah. is downtown. So and There's one on Butler if you want to see Hinkle and yep. Chatham Tap at the same spot. Right, I mean, 200 yards from Hinkle. Yeah, you can see Hinkle Fieldhouse. So, yeah, that's probably if you're doing an excursion on the second day, heck, you can hit up Keystone Sports Review and uh, – Chat them, tap on Butler's campus right. if yeah, you want. Sure. And then you'll be in a food coma for the rest of the day. Pre-game, everything downtown. There's, It's one of those where we probably always say the same places, but there's not a bad spot. That's the thing. Slippery Noodle people are going to go to. Kilroy's with the Breadsticks. Brothers. Um, yeah, a little younger audience probably at Kilroy's and Brothers, but although on game days, I think people – game days, people are just looking for a spot. Right. Like, when can I find – you know, when can I get – a beer the quickest and you know get in the stadium. They say he's coming for the Bucks game or Pats. He's game? coming for the Patriots. Dude, game. That Pats game, it's gonna be announced here soon. That could be a Saturday game. Yeah, that's that could true. Very well, be a Saturday game, which um, I think will make people. I don't know. I, I I don't love that because it's well, it's the same day as that Crossroads Classic. That's true. So keep an eye on that. You'll have Notre Dame, Indiana, and Purdue Butler over at Bankers right. Life or Gamebridge now Fieldhouse. Yeah, sl- Slipper Noodles probably. You, you got to make a stop just to kind of experience yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so historic. Lucas Oil and all that. Yeah, and these are always ones, too. If you guys are listening to the podcast, like, put it in the comments. Yeah, exactly. Chris can go to the YouTube right. and, and listen to the pod, and you guys can drop your comments there for where you guys feel is, is your favorite place, especially if you, you're not from here and you visited, like we've had people here in the last couple of weeks, What where, where, where they found to be enjoyable. That's a great idea. Good call. All right, last question from Hank. What happened to Sean Davis, S-E-A-N? Also, what happened to Sean Davis, S-H-A-W-N? <laughs> Seeing that our secondary is decimated, would would you wish to have at least one of these guys back on the roster? 
Yeah, yeah, both of them got the scissors. I, I mean, I think they got the scissors for reasons. I watched them in camp and thought to myself, oh, boy. Um, I'll give George Odom credit. Again, Chris, I thought the safeties and and Sandejo, I mean, it wasn't perfect yesterday by any means, but I thought they'd be a bigger issue right now than they have been. Now, we'll see about Kari Willis this week. It does feel like you're kind of hanging on by a thread with them and, you know, what could Brady do to them. But I don't think Tampa without Vita Vea, it's a big loss for them. Yeah. You know, I feel I feel kind of good about Literally. this Colts game. <laughs> well, yes, uh, this Colts Bucks game. So, um, I, I know they got a couple safeties on the practice squad. Julia Ladai has played a little bit, and, and we saw Josh Jones not a great tackling attempt a few weeks ago against Jacksonville. So, that if you're going to ask me like my big concern down the stretch, it still remains the secondary. Um, but I, I will give a credit to the safeties much better than I thought they would play. Yeah. All right, that wraps up Twitter questions for this editions of Kevin's Corner. Awesome, man. He is Chris Press. I'm Kevin Bowen. Like we said, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Um, safe travels to wherever you're going this week. Looks like at least here in the Midwest, the weather looks decent. Um, so it's a great thing. And what do we got? Two more before the bye? Yep. Yeah, at Tampa and – or excuse me, home to Tampa and at Houston. So uh, we'll be back next Monday. Mm-hmm. Awesome. He's Chris Press. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Enjoy Ring of Honor to Robert Mathis as well on Sunday. And we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.